the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition. This is a show where we look at all the latest news and hot topics from within our little driving instructor bubble. And as always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen. But you will be delighted that it's not just me because I am joined by the co-founder of the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective and regular co-host, our super friend of the show, man of many hats, Chris Benstead. How are we doing, Chris? Hello, all is good. Yes, have a lovely day in sunshine. Excellent. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have you on as we're recording on, as you said, this sunny bank holiday, because I, I definitely did not think this through before I arranged this with you. Um, but uh, I we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. We want to talk about the triggers that are being changed, sorry, uh, the parameters that are being changed by the DVSA. We want to look a little bit at the uh, most recent meeting with NASP and the DVSA because they put their notes up for that. Also, I will just mention now, if you check the show notes, I'll put a link in for that that report in the show notes as well. And we also want to take a little look at the idea that does everything have to be Promoted as being standard check based for it to gain engagement. But before we do that, I need to make a official apology. Uh, we have had a complaint, or not we, I have had a complaint, uh, and I need to make an apology. Uh, I've had a complaint about some of the language that I use, uh, in particular one word, and that word was awesome. Uh, I have been accused of using Americanisms and I'm basically being too jolly, I think, at times. So uh, for anyone listening that is offended by the word awesome, I'm sorry, I'm, but I will continue to use it going forward. Chris, what are your thoughts on the word awesome? The the 16th century English word, I I, I love it. I use it all the time. I don't know. It, it, it's awesome, isn't it? If it's good enough for Lego... Yes, everything is awesome. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on this, but I, I will... I am going to say that I, I mean, you know me, I, I work off the premise of, of don't be a dick. That That's the minimum standard that I set myself. I generally try and be a bit above that. I try and be a nice human and I try and help people. But the minimum standard is don't be a dick. However, I was really tempted to drop that the other day um, when I got that complaint about using the word awesome in a very positive post about awesome things about being a driving instructor but there you go anyway let's move on to something that we that might be awesome or might not depending on your take and that is the triggers or parameters that have now changed so for anyone that is unaware uh, driver faults uh, these are the, the triggers that you need to well, I don't know what the phrase is uh, occur through to be called in for a standards check. The ones that are staying the same are the pass rate, that's still 55%, the dangerous of uh, physical, um, what's the word I'm looking for, intervention by the examiner is still at 10%, but driver faults are going from 5 to 6, and serious faults are going from 0.5% to 0.55%. So, Chris, I am going to ask you quite an open question on this and try really hard not to load the question um what are your thoughts um it's nice to know that it's being monitored that you know it means the numbers mean something um i i'm not hugely bothered by it um but i i think it's nice to know that they're recognized so the reason for the change is is predominantly that tests were ending 
early because people failed them. They went straight back to the test centre. Um, now that they're seeing it through to the end, the number of faults has gone up. So they're recognising that, therefore, our figures will change. You know, the average figure, the bell curve figure will change. So they're recognising that and what they do. I That's got to be a good thing, isn't it? I, I don't think it makes a blindest bit of difference to the majority, but um, at, at least we know that it's it's a fair game. The more we talk about this, the standards check palaver, the less I, I have uh, an opinion either way. I, I I think when it first kicked off, all you know, was it last year or the year before when they made the changes? I think I was quite strongly in favour of, oh, I like this. I like what they've done with us on the check and how they, they you know, the, the approach are taken. I didn't see it as them blaming us. I felt the wording and the phrasing of it was really, really poor. So externally, people could see it was our fault, but I didn't feel like it was ever that way. Then I think I changed my mind and went against it. And now I'm just like, I, I'm not sure what they were trying to achieve here. I, I, and I'm not sure what making this change will make. Other than, um, let's see, I've got the stats here. So it takes those ADIs in four parameters from 10,000 to 4,489. Uh, 4, DVSA consider this more realistic than before. And I can't help, again, we see the chatter online, and I can't help but think, is that just because they couldn't manage the workload? Or... Because this is the first time I've thought this because you've just read it out in that way. Is it because otherwise they're doing a crap job of letting people onto the register and they need to be seen to be letting people that are good enough onto the register? So if they don't bring that big number down a bit, they're failing? Essentially. I mean, look, we're I, <laughs> this is part of the problem, isn't it? The fact that we, when we've had this discussion too many times in that we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And... And this is it. What what's the purpose behind this? What what's the purpose behind this change? I it, I, I can't see other than putting conspiracy theories onto it. I don't really see the the, the purpose behind it. That it, I'm I'm at a loss with this one. It, it's well, it's likely to be political in some way, and I, and you've just moved me away from thinking it's fair and isn't that nice to going. Or maybe maybe it's just because the number was too big. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know now. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Anyone can change the the parameters of something to make it appear better or worse. And I think that there's the risk with that. If you don't necessarily explain properly why you do something, there is a risk of opening that up. You know, I, I mentioned about uh, before I record today. I mentioned about a certain uh, start hit regarding the podcast. Well. I could phrase that in a number of different ways to make, you know, I've increased by this much or I'm only hitting this amount or you change one word in that and all of a sudden it puts a completely different context on it. And I go back to what I was saying. I think that then, why? From an instructor's point of view, in one way, it's a little bit better because you don't have to be as good at your job. And <laughs> so the minimum standard has changed then. So yeah. they're doing what they're supposed to. It reminds me of the last time that there was a, a particular change like this, which was the um, the waiting list statistic of how they calculated. This is pre-COVID stuff, um, how they calculated what the weight is for a test centre. And it moved from 10%, I think I'm right in saying, 10% of tests being available 
um in you know inside of a, a week or whatever it was to um one test being available because people don't need 10% of tests which sort of made sense but they didn't tell anyone they just improved the waiting lists so yeah i i'm now i'm now being cynical sorry i was enjoying my bank holiday weekend thanks for that well, you know not to come on with me when you're having a good time, but I think back to COVID uh, during lockdowns and the government, and I can't remember the chart annoyingly, but there was a specific chart they used all the time to show how well we were doing in comparison to other countries. Then as soon as we were worse than the other countries, they stopped using that chart and they started using a different one. And, it, you know, things like that feel a bit like this sometime. And I don't know, you know, you, you mentioned minimum standards. We, we've spoke about this before. We've spoke about the communication. I don't want to beat the same drum over and over again, but... It's. I don't know why, and uh, we need to. We don't need to know why. There's no moment we just need to get on with his job. But essentially, that's what it's done. And we, I've spoken on here before, and I've been quite open about the struggles I've had with students going to test over the last few years, and the time and effort and energy that I put into trying to be better because I wasn't to the best. And and fair play to the DVSA, they gave me a kick up the ass with that. That it then making them change around the standard check made me reflect on myself. I mean, I probably would have done it anyway eventually because I'm, you know, a half decent human being, but they made me reflect on myself at that time. And I implemented changes because of that. And my pass rate improved. And my, um, uh, what, what's the one? The driver faults. I'm going to say minors and get shouted at then. Um, the driver faults improved. And the serious faults. Im- and everything improved. And that was down to the work I was doing. And it didn't improve overnight. It all improved over two years. And, you know, I've spoke about this in the show before. And it's almost as if someone's gone, you know all the hard work you've done? Well, I didn't need to do it as much because we made it a bit easier. And I just don't get it. The, there is one other thing I'm going to mention on this. Uh, I actually got this from the, the NASP report later on, but I think it's really relevant to this, which is uh, there are still just under 5,000 ADIs with no data. I think that's fascinating. And how much of that do you think, and we're going back to the uh, the DVSA, what, um, the questionnaire they did, not the questionnaire, but in, in the survey, that's the word I'm looking for. There, there was some stuff on there about ADIs keeping their badge in the car. So when you've got 5,000 ADIs with no data, is that where that's coming from, do you think? I don't think we can know. Um, so potentially, now I, I have taken the odd pupil to test because I only get the odd pupils. The normal ones go to everyone else. Um, but the, uh, I, I, yeah, take the odd one to test. Um, but potentially I could not take anyone to test, so there wouldn't be any data on me. So that with the you know uh, blue light people and and you know people who just do fleet and I I'd want to know why I'd want to know what those stats are. Um, if it's people not putting their badge in the window, which I think there's a lot of people that say they don't, but actually they do, and they just want everyone else to. St- to join in so that they can actually not put their badge in the window. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a big number, is it, really? When when you think about the, the number of jobs now, quite rightly, that need an, an ADI badge, but they're not teaching learners, they're not going to get that. So I, I, I don't find that surprising. 
if we interpret that stat as, as most of those people are people that take their badge out of the window, more driving instructors take their badge out of the window than listen to this podcast. <laughs> and and uh, there you go. You can interpret stats however you want. Um, I, I don't know what else to say on these triggers. Do you care, Chris, whether we call them triggers or parameters? Does that have any? Because I know you're a word guy. Yeah, <laughs> You're going to be laughing about this later, but anyway, um, I and I think it's awesome. Um, no, I, I really I love words. I think they're really important. Um, I, I I do I care. I I care that other people care. I I think it means something different, but actually, probably the DVSA wanting them not to be called triggers that triggers me more than um than necessarily the parameters you know i i feel that's a political thing um i think sometimes changing what they mean you know maybe we should have a different word for them the than than triggers maybe we should just you know I, yeah I, I don't know so, so, something being with bs but uh, anyway it's i, I, I think I think that there's, you know, there there is a lot to the words, but uh, does it really matter? No, I mean, I think from a personal standpoint, I think that the word triggers sounds a bit more negative. Uh, parameters sounds a bit more statistical. I don't know, but it don't really mean a lot. I will just say this: I've got a student recently who started uh, when she puts the car into neutral. She's calling it neutralizing the car, which is the best thing I've heard in a long time. Um, neutralizing the car. Uh, anything else you want to mention on the the triggers slash parameters, Chris? Uh, no, I'm too busy writing down neutralizing the car. Neutralizing the car. Just one that that made me remember. Uh, uh, people in Nigeria call them trafficators, not indicators, and I love that. Trafficators. I, I love trafficating. I like that. I think it was all trafficate indicating old school. Uh, I sense a new podcast coming on now. Um, all right, well, let's take a moment, set the table, and tell people who we actually are. So, Chris, do you want to tell people who you are, what you do, and where they can find you? I am the co-founder of the DITC, the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, which is the signposting point for the driving instructors industry. Uh, we identified that no one knew where to go for what so that's what we try to solve and try to point people in the direction of of what they need. Get in touch and ask us because um, we can't fit everything out there all at once. Um, and then I spend the rest of my time doing theory training and uh, supporting people who need to to be taught or under, develop understanding for the theory test. I like that you told people specifically what's awesome about those things because uh... – in my Facebook group today, I you know, put advertising thread up and said, you have to tell us what's awesome. And everyone just posted their links, and I spent the entire day clicking on saying, yes, but what's awesome about your thing? Um, and then they told us, which was good. Uh, so people actually know what they're looking at there. Uh, but yes, uh, I am Terry Cook, and as you may well be aware, or hopefully aware, uh, I'm the host of the Instructor Podcast. If you are enjoying these, make sure you click subscribe. Most listeners to podcasts do not click subscribe. It helps numbers greatly when you do, which would be very much appreciated by me 
Also, I run the Instructor Premium, where if you want to get a whole host of additional content, I think there's currently 106 exclusive shows over there, as well as discounts for places like Client-Centered Learning, the ADI, PDI Doctor, Guild of Mindful Drivers, and the other two that I've forgotten, uh, which I'll get shouted out by someone, definitely, uh, then you can sign up, and the best place to do it is the InstructorPodcast.com, and you can also come and watch shows like this being recorded live, as all these lovely members are today. Day. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention before we move on is to keep your eyes peeled for what's coming up because I am doing a Meganar because I've decided that webinars are not enough. So we are doing a Meganar, which I know will amuse someone who dislikes the word awesome. Uh, so we're going for Meganar. And there are going to be nine speakers over at least three hours because it's bound to overrun. And it's going to be in August. So make sure you're following me on socials uh, in particular uh, and checking out the podcast as well for more information about that. It's going to be free to everyone. So you can sign up and just get three hours of goodness. Um, uh, but it will be recorded and put in the premium account for people to watch back on at a later date. And the last thing I'm going to mention is the episode dissection. There is a new one coming up in June, uh, featuring Chris Brooker, who was way back on season one. He's agreed to come in and dissect his episode from season one, much like uh, one of my favorite humans, Shabnam Raja, did recently for episode dissection. Loads of lovely feedback from that, but I'm not going to bang on any more about that now, other than to say www.theinstructorpodcast.com. Because we have also had the latest report from NASP. Um, f- following on from their consultation, their meeting with the DVSA, which included 12 senior members of the DVSA, Chris, 12 of them. Um, Who? And, represent- yeah, and representatives from NASPs. So uh, I'll, I'll throw to you first on this, Chris. What are your thoughts? Have you got any key takeaways from this? Anything stand out? Who? <laughs> Um, yeah, 12 key- senior members of the DVSA and NASP. I'd love to know who. Um, you know, being that we're being represented and spoken to, um, you know, I I don't like listening to people if I don't know who what their name is. Um, so so yeah, I and yeah that that was my main feeling. Um, it, there wasn't anything particularly stand out. It, it was a you know an exchange. I'd like to know with, with all these things. You know, I appreciate the whole charter house rule and they you know not everything's being minuted because they need to be able to fight their corners and and speak without us underlings knowing exactly what's going on behind the scenes because otherwise all of the whispers and hearsay cause absolute carnage out there um but you know it just would be nice to kind of know who's saying what a little bit so just who was in the room would have been nice um outside of that was there anything that I missed? Because it, it seemed fairly, fairly mundane. Lot, lots of statistics and figures that didn't really affect any of us. They they spoke about the parameters. Um, yeah. What what did I miss, Terry? I think there's some uh, interesting things uh, worth mentioning and potentially even discussing a little bit further. Uh, and I've highlighted some of these, so I will read these out. So I found this quite interesting. It was confirmed that slots are kept back, so the next available dates given to those affected by industrial action, uh, and they don't go to the back of the queue. So they have now confirmed that when there's industrial action, they are reserving some test slots around that time. So if people's tests are moved, 
um, then they're not going to be waiting six months, ideally, which I didn't know. I think we kind of guessed that's what we're doing, but they've actually confirmed it. So it's good that they're doing that, I suppose. Yeah, I I I knew because we had someone who was affected who it, it, on the uh, on one day it got moved to two days later and then it snowed, um, and then it got moved again and yeah you know, yeah they did a really good job of of managing it and I think actually it's it's really regional but locally to me they did a great job of of dealing with the you know the industrial action you know uh, yeah I, I I think it's a nightmare for everybody I, I think we always end up blaming the dvsa as one big body and we have to kind of remember the different sides to to the fight but um i i, st- I still yeah i support examiners uh, i i respect what they do um and i know a lot of them wouldn't be out there if they didn't feel that they should be yeah support for the examiners sympathy for the learners i would say yeah absolutely but yeah i agree with you i, I just think it's it's good that they're trying to manage it and, and credit where it's due. It's a difficult thing to manage. And I do think they managed it fairly well in most places from what I can tell. Um, I found this interesting. Again, I think we could all guess it, but I found it interesting that, uh, that it was released. So I'm going to read this and if it doesn't make sense, I'll clarify. The percentage of pupils that take the test at that preferred test center and pass is 66%. The percentage you take out of their non-preferred test centre and pass is 48%. So basically, pupils that are taken at a local test centre, uh, they have a pass rate of 66%, and pupils that are taking it, you know, 100 miles away, have a pass rate of 48%. So you're more likely to pass if you are at your local test centre. This again, there's not enough, uh, not not enough meat on the bone, is there? Because de- were, was that someone who their instructor said, "Not a hope in hell," and they went and did it anyway? Uh, did they have instructor support? It'd be nice if we had to sign them off because then we'd know. Um, because if you've got the people that aren't as good failing the test more, I'm not surprised. Um, the danger is that again to to display that statistic potentially differently. If you don't know your test routes, you're not going to pass. And that's what I hear, and and that's not what they mean, and it's not what we should be saying, but it kind of says, you know, test centre is important. Um, it, It could also mean that even though you're not ready, you might pass at your local test centre. I'd like to see the crash stats for, you know, six months a year down the line for those individuals as well. We're never given the stats. We're, they're not tracked enough. We need more data as an industry. No, that we've kind of touched on this before, but do you encourage the teaching of local area hotspots? No. Sorry, shaking my head on the podcast doesn't help, does it? Um, no, I, I, I'm a big fan of take them to any test centre. doesn't matter if they've been there before. Um, and you know, I, I have the luxury now of not really doing it much, but, um, going to test centers. But when, when I was, um, Bromley test center near me, I'd only taken people there that had had maybe one trip to the area. Um, and that was more so that they could visualize where they were going on the day so that it wasn't, you know, so they had in their head what was going on. It wasn't walking into a, a cave full of bats or whatever they thought it was. Um, and I, you know, I don't think I've had a, a fail there yet. I, um, you know, and 
it's just because they were good enough. They were absolutely fine as pupils. Um, I'm not a big fan at all. But on the flip side, I'm a massive advocate for examiners should be standardising tests so that the area doesn't matter. So if you have something freaky um, or, you know, in your neck of the woods, which is probably a roundabout because it normally is, but sometimes it's a junction, um, the DVSA should be encouraging the examiners to just standardise it so that you or I could go and drive it. Yeah, because if it's something that we would struggle with, then it shouldn't be part of what's being the decision-making process on the test. I'm not saying they shouldn't go through there, but they should somehow, you know, offer a little bit of guidance. Um, you know, that's always been my feeling is that you know if we're going to say test route doesn't matter, then test route shouldn't matter. I love it when we've got a similar view, not an identical view. Um, I had a, a great one recently where. I was- we're talking about the driving test actually and i said you know any concerns about it that you've got coming up and she said i'm just worried we haven't been around the the test routes enough i says all right why is that worrying she goes well my friends have told me about this one roundabout she identified this particular roundabout i'm like we've done that loads of times and she's like have we i says yeah and i brought up google maps i'm showing it she went oh yeah that's easy i'm like right i've just never told you it's on the test route or, or could be on the test route we've just done it loads because you can drive anywhere and we'd actually covered pretty much because you don't live far from testing so we kind of covered the area almost accidentally and i'm like you've done loads of where the test area is we just haven't specifically done it as if it's a test route um i think where i've got a slight disagreement with you is potentially uh, like you've said about the stuff that stands out the stuff that where it's not standardized I will cover that, but not necessarily cover it because it's a test. I use it as a really good example. Like, this is a really tricky thing. This is abnormal. Let's go and practice this. Or, or for example, one for mine, <laughs> they've changed it now, but they had a, a left turn only arrow in a lane that wasn't left turn only. Um, we'd had it clarified specifically by the test center and um, local authority that you can go ahead in that lane, but the arrow says left only. And yeah. it just and they've changed it now, but so that there are some things there that I think are, can be beneficial. But to me, they shouldn't be done as part of learning to drive. They should be done. You learn to drive, and then actually, there's this really dodgy thing at the test that we could do. We're looking at that beforehand. I think that's where I would have a slight disagreement. But that what would be interesting is how that ties into the past stats. Definitely, and yeah. You know, maybe we can cover this another day because I've got a whole different opinion on why stats vary from place to place. I've got one name, two near me. Uh, one is a 38% pass rate, I think it is, and the other is 54. Um, and they're not that far from each other, but they are two completely different areas. It, regarding that roundabout you mentioned, you didn't make that roundabout sound difficult. She'd driven it, she'd done it, you just dealt with it. Whereas quite possibly the instructors of the other, you know, of her friends were saying, oh, this is where everyone fails. Well, what's going to happen then? You know, it's it's a bit like if you got rid of hill starts. No one will fail for hill starts anymore. No. I mean, you are starting on a hill, but I get your point. Uh, <laughs> right. So the other interesting thing I found out this, and I don't think there's too much discussion around this, but I found it interesting. Uh, for every 1% increase in pass rate, there are 30,000 more tests available a year. So, I like that one. Yeah. 
All right, so I'm going to read this out. This is a bit longer, but again, I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, and this is specifically from the north. So, hang on. Sorry, I've just I, I've just processed that figure, right? So the difference between a non-local test centre and a local test centre was about 15%, was it? Uh, 68 and uh, 66 and 48. So, yeah, uh, 18%. 18%. So, and, and then a 1% increase means that there's, was it 39,000 more tests? 35, yeah. 35, right. So if you could work out for me 18 times 35,000, I think we've just solved the test problem. Of everybody has to take a, take the test at their local test centre, and there's yeah. no waiting list anymore. Six hundred and thirty thousand problem solved. Uh, you have to take a test within a twenty mile radius of where you live. Thank you, DVSA. There we go. Um, I'll soundbite that and send it to them. Uh, yeah, so uh, going back to what we were saying, uh, the DVSA understand that the percep perceptions of the public, etc., of high waiting times drives wrong behaviour and encourages the proliferation of organisations swapping tests. This keeps demand artificially high and there is a need to help to try and change booking patterns. This will only be successful if DVSA works with ADIs to bring behaviour back to a normal level. DVSA wants to develop a mutually beneficial and mature relationship with ADIs to achieve change in the right way. In order to give this and other important matters more consideration, it was agreed that we hold a longer full-day workshop-style meeting, uh, and this has now been arranged. So the DVSA are acknowledging that the public perception of what's going on is part of what's driving this uh, this behaviour. Um, I suppose it's good they're acknowledging that, because I don't think they were at first. It's also good that you just translated what was written because I really didn't have a clue what was going on with all them words. <laughs> Took me a minute to work it out myself. Um, but yes, I, I agree. I think, you know, pu public perception is is the biggest issue um, because they're all going, we will not get a test for six months, which isn't factually correct because uh, you won't get one in six months. Uh, no, because, um, you know, there's there's they're around, they exist, and work is being done. But yeah, I, I think you know they're given the headline and they're not given the facts, um, which is too often the case. Yeah. Um, how can the DVSA work of ADIs to uh, bring about better behaviour from the public? How can the DVSA work of ADIs on that? What could they do? Oh, I, I quite like, and I, I see. I think there's been a lot of engagement of the ready to pass stuff because although some of it is too simplified. And, you know, you can always go, well, what about this? And and focus on all the other bits. Actually, that short, sharp, you know, image that says this is what you're trying to achieve so you're not ready, I, I think that is is quite nice. I, I've, I've always been a big fan of don't bother reading the whole newspaper, just read the comic strip on the back because the person who's managed to get that into three pictures is far more educated than the person that needed thousands of words. All right, let, let's let, let's move on because there's a couple of other points I want to touch on here. Um, I think this one's up your street, Chris. DVSA are looking to update the question bank for part one to make it more relevant to the higher levels of skill and knowledge and to include questions on modern technology. 
There will also be a full review of the Part 2 test to make it as relevant and effective as it can be and incorporate vehicle technology changes. Promising to you or? Well, as as the, you know, arguably the country's leading theory trainer, um, they haven't spoken to me yet. I want to know who they're going to talk to. I want to know who who is educated on what's in that data bank because there's a lot needs to be done. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I I just you know I, th- I think it's pretty rubbish. Um, bring it on, do it. I have absolutely no hope on it being done well. Um, the fact that safe driving for life, life, the DVSA's own website doesn't include the learning sections to cover the questions that are in the actual test anyway. Um, I, no. So, yeah. Can you see that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sque- squeezing my my thigh muscle really hard to stop me kicking off? But I mean, I've got the title for the show, which is I have absolutely no hope that it'll be done well. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm actually maybe a tiny bit more positive about this than you because... I think there's a lot of stuff here. And again, we weren't in the meetings and we're reading the notes. There'll be things that were said in the meeting that aren't in these notes. There'll be context and tone that was perhaps said, either positive or negative. Stuff can be said, yes, we'll do that in a dismissive way or an encouraging way. I think I'm interpreting this a little bit more as at least it's been spoken about, at least it's been acknowledged. And I think there's a lot of times it hasn't. So and not just this, but I think, you know, some of the things we've spoken about today um but again it's one of those things there's nothing concrete there it's let's see if we can do it and they haven't spoken to the you know most prominent part one trainer in the industry um and she's, I, just to, she's not to, here today oh no to clarify that there's only probably about five of us <laughs> that are specializing in theory so you know i'm not wearing it as a big title um i'm just saying that Surely speak to the people that are doing theory and specialising in theory if you're going to address the theory test. And the best thing they could do, just in case they do actually listen and, and you know, as you said, are interested, is put the part one after the part two. I mean, yes, I would agree. And, you know, those four or five people, there's your workshop straight away that was mentioned before. But I'm also pleased that they're trying to, you know, talk about the new technology coming in. And I'll mention for anyone listening now, ADAS. Uh, now, I've forgotten the website and I've forgotten what ADAS stands for, but they are all about the new technology within cars. I'll put a link in the show notes, but they have got a load of videos up there um, specifically for driving instructors that we can go and learn about what this this new technology does. And I've taken a look at that because... I've got a new car coming soon that has some stuff in it that my current one doesn't. So I've been able to take a, a look at how that works and some of the benefits. So link will be in the show notes, but search for ADAS and also keep your eyes peeled for when they uh, appear on the podcast. Um, anything else you want to touch on with that, Chris? We're just going to check. Is that the Advanced Driver Assistance Systems by ARM? Uh, yes, that sounds yeah, on, correct. On ARM.com, that would be the one. Yeah. Um Link in the show notes or the address that Chris just gave. Oh, right. Okay. I'm going to touch on this as well because I think this is interesting. The registrar, I can't say it. registrar reported on the survey about the possibility of raising the standard check pass rate. 4,500 responses were received and DVSA are still working through them. A lot of respondents were against proposal, but the registrar wanted time to particularly consider written responses. 
I, I don't think we need to dwell on that too much, but I thought it was worth mentioning that that's there uh, for anyone that hasn't or isn't going to read this report. But I did find this interesting, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. There's been a 60, uh, 60% more new applications from PDIs wanting to start, 1,300 per month for the last three months, and there's been a 122% increase in applications overall. So lots of people wanted to become a driving instructor. I don't blame them. So much is, of that it, is down to this podcast. Uh, I see the problem with that would be that you know it would be pre PDIs listening, and then you don't get your percentage of the industry. So if we want to mess about with statistics like the DVSA do, you're going to be in trouble. So um, yeah, I know. I yeah, what a good time! It's always the good time, isn't it? When when the world's in trouble, become a driving instructor. Um, if they do it well, uh, then brilliant. And I think there's probably a really good podcast that they could go to listen to to learn more about doing so. Podcast would that be, Chris? So so the, are we using the letters or the actual words? We best use the words, or we'll get in trouble. What are they? Because I can only remember letters. Um, <laughs> becoming a driving instructor, the podcast that we do together to help people coming into the industry and that are currently in looking to develop and learn, Chris. Becoming a driving instructor, is that the one you're referring to? Yes, yes. I, You, you know earlier when you sounded something like the, the doves from above before we, uh, before we started, yeah, it just sounded like that again. Fair enough. Um, Yes, and oh God, if anyone is coming to the industry uh, and they're new uh, and they're listening to this now, there's an abundance of work. Um, please take this as an opportunity to develop other facets of your business because there won't be an abundance of work forever, especially if the DVSA are putting a, a radius limiter where you can take your driving test and the problem gets solved this year. So putting things into place now to help your business when that doesn't. And he's, he's on the, the call. He's one of the premium members. He's here. I don't know if he'll appreciate me saying this, but go and check out Les Hopkinson's stuff. Honestly, what he's doing on his social media for his driving school now, I'm just going to be copying in a few weeks' time um, because I, I love his stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Um, but either way, uh, let's move on to the next point. Now, this is a paragraph. I'm going to read it all. <laughs> Another one. So I'm, I think... And I think this will make sense. So, NASPA previously suggested that there needs to be a review of ADI training and developments. DVSA recognised that the current ADI qualification route is not the best it could be, but it's starting to be reviewed by the team. This is starting by improving the part two and other parts to follow. NASP asked if DVSA were considering a short commentary drive in part two. NASP said that we need to commit to talk about ADI training more fully as it needs to be fit for purpose or the pass rate will never rise and PDIs will continue to lose vast sums of money. Pass rates currently around 55% for part two and 35% for part three. So absolutely no mention of part one anywhere there, Chris. Um, which stood out for me like a sore thumb, considering they were speaking about it earlier. Um, but any any thoughts on that? Did that make sense? I, I there's not enough information, but I think they kind of said that um, because they they said that they're going to do it, but they haven't got a clue how. Uh, and until we bring in a syllabus for PDI training that is centralised, um, I, I I think we're going to continue to end up working to the minimum standards yeah. so if it means up the minimum standards then brilliant but there's going to be 
an issue about if you put the standard up, the pass rate's going to go down, there's going to be less people qualifying? Or do they actually mean that they're going to make it easier to become a driving instructor and then God help us all? Potentially. I mean, again, I'm I'm in a positive mood today. I think I'm just looking at the fact that NASPA raising that about the the weakness around the, the training for driving instructors. And I'm sure they've raised it before. Um, but for the purpose of this discussion, I like the fact that it's being raised and put forward and being spoken about. I don't like almost a dismissal of the, the part one because I am with you. I think that more emphasis needs to be put on that. I'm also amused by one of the points in there where it says, NASP, ask this. Didn't say the answer and swiftly moved on to something else. Um, all right, the, the last one I'm going to mention on this because it ties into that is the part three marking was discussed briefly as members who are trainers from NASP associations were finding the marking becoming less client-centered and focusing more on fault-finding, which seems to be a backwards move. DVSA and NASP agree this would need a longer discussion with specific examples. This is a potential potential item for a longer planned workshop type meeting. So basically NASP coming forward and saying that the the part three seems to be coming fault-finding, uh, much like the suppose, driving test is. Is that something you're, you're aware of, Chris? Yes. I, oddly, I, I disapprove less than they do because I think we move too far away from fault finding in, in a way because as a trainee, I think it's important that you can identify faults. And actually, there were some training schemes that were out there that were so far away from it, I was picking up a lot of work um, because people weren't being successful or not, weren't feeling ready they they were floundering around trying to ask questions all the time. And actually, you've got to identify what's wrong before you can ask the right questions to fix it. So I, I think there's been, you know, the baby's gone out with the bathwater a little bit. And if it's done well, it could be a real benefit to bring both of those things back together and kind of, you know, come up with this nice amalgamation of how we can go. These are where the, the fault's not a bad word. We shouldn't be fault focused. But if you don't know what's wrong, how are you going to fix it? And then bring in the 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 client, the learner, whatever title we're using, being in charge of their learning and it became, what are you going to do today? You know, so get in the car and not have no plan and the learner be in charge of everything. And that's not what it should be. Learner in charge of the learning, their learning, engagement with the process. We should still be in charge of structure and identification of some of those things. Now, you can you can do that through a coached approach, but to to do it in a targeted way. I, th- I think there is still a place for identification of faults, um, not necessarily fault focus. So I, I think there's lots of buzzwords being thrown around without actually analysing and going back to the roots of what's important um, and what's necessary to a successful process. And if you do that, the people that recognise fault-based are going to be left floundering around and fighting against the DVSA when actually if we kind of went, you know what, there's a place for everything, let's have a look at it, we might keep more people on board with us and actually improve them along the way. Do you think that there's a large proportion of ADIs that 
still don't really know what fault focused or coaching or client set of learning actually means and entails. Yes, absolutely. And and uh, I think there's a lot of the people that that discuss it on a regular basis that don't necessarily have a a full understanding of both ends of that spectrum because they've developed their skills inside of coaching and they've learned you know they've embraced the coaching but do you know what they they themselves weren't there at the beginning so they've they've found it and discovered it and they're you know they are absolute converts but sometimes you need to take the journey you can't just you know you can't just be given the end product you you've got to develop it you've got to work it through um and if we stop them from doing that if we remove fault focus from it then the people coming through are only going to be given half of the picture so I, I, we need a bit of balance it's you know otherwise the matrix breaks down and we all get kicked out of it how do we get that across to every single driving instructor we can't because the DVSA can't be expected to communicate with us all on an individual basis because that would require them holding our individual detail. So just cross Sorry. our fingers and hope for the best. I would it's this thing of we're on a register. We should we should receive direct communication each and every one of us with the important stuff. And it should just be the important stuff and not the, you know, all the fluff around it of just going, here's the important things. Our stats should be automatically sent to us every quarter. There's no reason that they shouldn't be, uh, especially when they're so important. And, you know, the DVSA's answer is either computer says no or we can't be expected to to have that level of communication. Well, yes, you can, because that would make us all a better place. And then if you gave it to people and people could track it themselves in the way that's important to them, then maybe they'd embrace it more rather than wait until it's ready to beat them with a stick. Um, you know, I yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's good. Um, we go back to almost what we're talking about at the beginning. Communication is key. I think a lot of the time in life, we might not necessarily agree with the decisions people make, but if we understand why they make them, they're a lot more palatable. Yes. Uh, let's let's put a little pin in that one there. Uh, so we have got Phil Cowley, uh, who wants to say a few words, who wants to offer his opinion. How are we doing, Phil? Brilliant, thank you. But awesome, actually. Excellent. <clears throat> Yeah, um, yeah, no, it was really interesting, Chair. Um, I was, I'm, I'm intrigued to see the the Venn diagram between the um, driving instructors that listen to the podcast and driving instructors that don't put their badge in the window. Uh, <laughs> I'd be intrigued to see that. Um, yeah, no, interesting stuff there. Um, the part three test um, that conversation between the whole client-centered learning and the and the fault thing uh in my opinion it's not ne it's never the fault thing never went away it's part of the core comps in, within the competencies that it was always there it's just maybe how we talk about it and how we develop the pupil away from that fault it, it has changed i suppose um i do think that there should be more discussion around maybe moving it back from 40 minutes to 60 minutes because i think that has taken away our ability to have some of those deeper conversations so sort of level four level three level four question conversations um i find that really difficult in a 40 minute session whilst trying to keep on the move and the examiner getting a bit twitchy when you're pulled over at the side of the road <laughs> so i think 
that that could be a bit more of the conversation i think certainly around i think from the meeting point of view one of the things i sort of took from it it, it seemed a lot of it was it seemed to be like, well, let's move that to our workshop meeting. Uh, and my question would be, why isn't that the meeting in the first place? Why are we having a meeting about having a meeting? Like, <laughs> why wasn't that workshop the original? Let's we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to fix. Why don't we just have this big meeting in the first place? It's all confused me, basically. Because it need to be a different twelve senior people from the DVSA that need to be in that. <laughs> And they have they have a, a special little you know bingo machine to draw names out. I would also suggest that if you watch the uh, webinar with um, the DIA Motormouth, Carly Brookfield is on there. Uh, you may be able to ask her that question yourself, uh, and she'll give, give you a better answer than we can. Although I will say, actually, I I do have an element of uh, maybe not sympathy, empathy, almost with the the meeting in this situation that sometimes when you've got that many moving parts and that many things going on, you do need the meeting to clarify the things you then need to do. But yes, I do. I think I do actually agree with what you're saying, but I do have a bit of empathy for them. There, there is one thing I want to touch back on what you said, Phil, um, just almost on behalf of our listeners, I don't think all of them would have quite grasped what you're referring to when you're talking about level three and level four. Oh, so it's level three and level four, the GDE matrix. So having those deeper conversations with pupils about their attitudes and beliefs within driving and, and post-test driving. Um, those conversations you can't have on the move because it's too, it, it takes too much thought process. I think if someone, if I was driving and someone asked me deep like coaching questions, I, I'd struggle to answer that and drive. Um, so pupils definitely can't. And it's not a case if you are allowed to pull over on your par three and standards check, but it's very much get on with it. Like have a have a conversation, like what happened? What can we go and do differently next time? Great, how can I help? Let's go. Um, and it doesn't allow those sort of kind of deeper conversations, whereas the, the 60 minute test did allow a little bit more for that um, um, process. I think I put my opinion on this across before, but I'm going to do it again in that I think that this is one of those situations where we have to deal with the thing whilst campaigning for the other thing. So at the minute, the DVSA do not give a toss about those conversations. Because if they did, they wouldn't give us a 40-minute standards check and ask us to keep the wheels moving as much as possible, although you are allowed to stop, obviously. Um, they don't care about that. And, and you probably heard me talk about this before, but... So we have to deliver what they want to deliver, which is showing that a student can learn something on a lesson, which is essentially it in a non-discriminatory way. And then if the you know if something goes wrong, change it. So you know you get the the picture. So we need to be able to show them that we can deliver that, and that's all they give a toss about at the minute when it comes to a standards check. But I wholeheartedly agree with you. We should be campaigning to be assessed on something different. We should be campaigning to be given the opportunity to show the good things that we can do beyond just helping someone develop this skill. Yeah. It, it, it's the thing about the the way it's marked, isn't it? If if it's about minimum standards and we're looking at a test focused, then, you know, if, if you look at the L test, level, level one and two are literally um, the, you know, how the car works and how the road works. And that's what the test is about. There isn't any level higher level gd matrix stuff of the why do you do it not what do you do inside of that that test so 
although examiners can recognize it, it's not needed to pass your part three. It's not in there, and it should be. So hopefully that'll be part of the change will be to bring in some of that. So, and I agree what you said about fault focus as well. The, 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 sorry, the core comps being in there still. It's just that they were dropped out of people's training because they weren't deemed necessary. I think that was the big worry. But no, as as always, Phil, I, I think we're on the same page. Nathan, you want to come back with Phil? There was a bit in, th- th- this is, I'm just wondering uh, your opinions on this, really. Um, so I'm just reading from what it says. It says, uh, work is underway by the DVSA to develop a new driver model with automatic route generation solution, um, which is hoped to, it would help encourage better candidate preparation. I didn't really know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you guys did. I, I will tell you because uh, I've highlighted the bit underneath it because I originally had that highlighted and I thought I have not got a fucking clue what that means um, it, it seems wedged in between two things so it was wedged into between the thing around the locality of your test centre so at first I use interpret it as being that but then it's wedged into the, the bit about the public perception and it's kind of wedged in between those two um, I, I, I think it's there's this talk in there about a making um I, I don't know what the word is but i'm going to use flexible driving test centers so you can start in different places not just a driving test so i'm just wondering if it's like wherever the examiner wants to take you that day rather than a, a route i just but again we don't really know but i it's worded very very badly possibly intentionally to not make sense I wondered if it was the examiner going to type into chat, chat GTP, where should I take this pupil? They'll leave it up to pupil. But the, from a, you know, if, if we were to put on, on a map certain criteria and then say, now let's give us a route, it could be a different different route each time. We've all seen new routes that have had to be amended because there were an issue, there was a local issue. There was, you know, it didn't work at certain times of the day or whatever it might be. Um, may, maybe that's, you know, that's part of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I, I love a bit of AI, but I, I you know, I, I do wonder whether we lose the consistency and continuity that we need. We saw that when the test changed. Instructors' big worry was how's it going to be marked because we didn't know. Actually, it was all all right because it levelled it out. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, I, can, can instructors cope with that level of um, of you know unpredictability without heads exploding? I I don't think so. I, I think that it's going to be a mess at the side of the road. I mean, just think of all those businesses that will go bust, you know, the ones that sell driving test routes that can no longer sell test routes. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that, Phil. Thank you. So, and I'm still not quite sure how to start this one, Chris, so I'll, I will make a go and we'll see how it goes because when I do these podcasts, if they have the word standards check in the title, then the podcast will get a significantly higher number of downloads than when it doesn't. And speaking to other people in the industry, if something that they're doing is called a standards check thing, as opposed to a something else thing, then it will get an awful lot more engagement or or whatever the metric is. 
this was two part question. Chris, is that something that you've seen and something you're aware of? And uh, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, if if I put on an awesome course um, run by awesome presenters and it doesn't involve standards check, it would be hard to sell the tickets um, because people will be less inclined to travel. It will be less relevant. They'll find other things that are more important. Stick standards check in it or even you know, D- DVSA in it because it's coming from DVSA. You can fill the room three times over without even trying. Um, and I hate that. I wish it wasn't like that. But yeah, ab- absolutely. See it all the time. And I also wonder whether some of it is actually um, algorithm based that instructors and standards check go together from, you know, when, when it, people are looking for stuff, it comes up more because it's relevant. You know, it, maybe there's a bit of that. But I think I'm trying to find a silver lining. And actually, it's just that if it affects our job, then we're going to be more inclined to, to you know, broadly speaking, be gravi- gravitating towards it. I think there's then people, quite likely the people in the room, um, who kind of want the opposite and have, have actually found you because they're looking for what's not got standards check in the title. Um, you know that that there's a there's a good amount in the industry that is standards check um, oversaturated and and just wants other stuff. I think you make a really valid point about the algorithm there, and that's I think that's something I've been considering today without realizing I was considering it until you put it that way. I think that's really significant. But I also want to touch on the last thing you said because I think that's where my brains want to stay. This has been in my head all day this particular question, I've struggled to phrase it and I've struggled to think of it because I've said it a lot and I see it on my podcast stats that the numbers are, are higher. I shouldn't say lower, actually. The numbers spike when it is a standards check podcast. Other than that, they're, they're generally at the same sort of level. Um, they dip slightly when it's not instructor-specific and they jump up significantly when it's standard check stuff. However, as you mentioned, the people in this room this isn't a standard check podcast today. But I've still got a big lump of amazing people. Oh, no, let me rephrase that. A big lump of awesome people that have come along to watch us talk about stuff that isn't about a standards check. I mean, we've mentioned the standards check, but not standards check training. We spoke about it as a, a, a factual thing. And you mentioned the algorithm. I look at my Facebook page and I put a poll up recently about do you enjoy your job? And I think there were five options reeling from like yes to no and everything in between. And I looked at the responses from that and I'm like, I found my tribe because everyone's saying yes. There were a few people said sometimes, but no one went below sometimes. And it's the algorithm. Because the people that are following the Instructor Podcast are generally not dicks. They they, they they like the job. They're good people, and they are not solely focused on the standards check. I cannot think of a single person, and I could be wrong, I cannot think of a single person that has messaged me regarding my premium content and asked me to do more or anything based on the standards check but I've had messages about everything else. 
think about the expert session, and I'll use the word again, expert session uh, that you did, Chris, that was nothing to do with standard checks. That's got a really good number of people coming into it. So to watch you deliver something that, yes, you know how to do a roundabout, it's going to help you teach, which will help you do a standards check. But it's not about a standards check. I had the one recently, Kevin Tracerfield. Again, really good number of people. Nothing to do with a standards check. And I just think, I think I might be barking up the wrong tree. I think when I say, when I'm talking about this, that you that everyone's standards check focused and not, it's like you said, there are people that are standards check focused. That's all they give a that's all they care about. That's that's not the my tribe. I can't change them. You can there's the the mountain of what's it called? The mountain of curiosity or something like that, where you've got all the people on one side that are buying into what you're doing. You're also at the top of the mountain shouting to the people the other side. The people on the mountain are going to hear you. They're coming up towards you. The people a little bit further away are just looking over their shoulder and going, oh, that looks interesting. So you can talk to them. But the ones that can't hear you, you don't pay attention to. And I, I think that's what I've come to today. It's like I'm thinking about the wrong people sometimes. Now, yes, I, I care about the industry. I'm thinking the industry as a whole. I can't change those people. I can't change the people that will kick off at the idea of calling something an expert session or that will say that we should increase the prices to our students so that I can give everything to driving instructors for free or that kick off about the word awesome or whatever it might be that people are throwing a hissy fit about. And put more attention to A, the people like these guys that care and are awesome and be the people are looking over their shoulder going it's that over there and i think that's where i'm at and i think i need to stop with the nonsense about the people that are looking over their shoulder and are only being you know one frame i'm going to stop a minute because i'm going to go on too much for a rant but i need to stop about the people that are too rigid in their thought process and i'm not even going to ask a question i'm going to leave that there and let you respond how you see fit Terry Cook has no interest in dicks. I've had moments. It is that, isn't it? it? It's so easy to get wound up about the people that will wind you up. Um, it, it's the feedback I, I, I'm genuinely proud of. Is people often say, I, I like the way that you hand, handle the, the the idiots on on, on Facebook. Because um, I, 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 I don't, I try not to. Sometimes they'll poke me where it hurts and I'll, I'll respond. But normally I try to just kind of go, let's just see what's happening. I, I, I take the, the Tony Robbins approach of imagine four other ways that what they said could have been meant before I respond to it. Um, and, and just try to try to go, all right, they're, they're not trying to be an absolute idiot and just annoy me. It's, they are sometimes. Um, but, but, you know, there should be something behind it. What can I find and what can I work with? Um, and I, th I think that that's, that's the thing. We, we can get absolutely focused on their focus on standards check, which makes us focused on standards checks. And and then we're self-fulfilling, aren't we? It's not going to work. So actually, keep doing what you're doing, talking about you know mindfulness and LGBTQ plus you know, awareness and, and allyship and you know all, all of those things that are really important to making the world a better place. And you, you, you'll you find, you know, people like the ones in the room. 
that that actually care enough to turn up and engage and and not talk about you know that that kind of focus because it's boring but we'll keep an eye on it because otherwise it'll come along and bite us in the backside because sometimes you've got to defend yourself against the bottom you know lowest common denominator stuff because you know otherwise it creeps up on you um I mean, a few things to touch back on. As I mentioned, there's an exception to every rule, and Jensen Eccles is my exception to my rule. Um, you mentioned about the feedback from people and uh, the way we handle it. Me and you have very different ways of handling stuff. Um, I know we both received praise about the way we handle stuff. I know I need to adapt mine because I can be very passive-aggressive at times. And But I, I think if someone's acting a certain way, I'm going to be passive-aggressive, deal with it. Um, the but i also just want to touch back on the standards check thing because what i don't want to give the impression of is that and i'm sure you second this chris is that we're saying don't do anything about the standards check i think it's a massive part of our industry and i'm going to touch actually on what guy mcmillan said he says as long as it's free extraction i can't say it. Oh, this is phrased better than the nasp report and i'm struggling with this uh as long as it's free strikes and you're out and you're out of a job of course people will be interested in standard check content get rid of that and people may be more likely to want to improve for improvement's sake. I fully agree with that. However, I look at that slightly differently to what I think you're saying, Guy, because you're obviously in my premium content, and pretty sure it was you that were commenting on a post the other day that had nothing to do with standard check content and was saying you'd enjoyed it and found it useful. And you're not in my premium content just for standard check. So you're not solely looking to pass a standards check and I think that's the difference you know the, the people in here and the people listening to the podcast and the people in the DITC and in client set of learning that there's nothing in standards check or the title of that you're looking to improve yourself but you are also concerned about this big old elephant in the room that we call the standards check there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing stuff around that but I think for me it's when it becomes the prime focus and I think that I noticed those spikes and I spoke to uh, uh, Mick Knowles about it recently and he says it's the same thing about his podcast. Lou Wall said it about her training. She calls it a standards check workshop, but there's very little on the standards check. Bob Martin's the same thing. This is a standard check workshop. He doesn't train you the standards check. He tells you the details of it, but then teaches you how to deliver a really good lesson. You know, and I think that people do have to, class stuff but i just wonder maybe we should stop maybe we should stop calling stuff standards check training and i can't convince everyone to do it obviously but i just wonder if maybe we should stop and call it something else and then you attract these people you attract the 80 percent of my listeners rather than the 20 that jump on when someone says sc or as my favourite one of these, this is not a standard check podcast. And I saw the stats for that. The number of people that stopped listening after 15 minutes was brilliant um, because they just saw the word standard check. Um, but yeah, anything you want to come back to on that, Chris? I was speaking to um, a business coach the other day who specialises in trades, which as business coaches go, you don't touch trades because they're a blooming nightmare because um, they're out practically doing the job so that's probably as close to driving instructor world as as there is in a you know, kind of a job comparison in that way um and she was saying that when she first started 
her what she was offering, which was awesome stuff, wasn't what people wanted. And it took her 700 meetings with people before she'd figured it out that she realized actually, you know, I, I, I need to stop force feeding them. I need to accept it, deliver them what they want, and then, you know, drip feed the good stuff in there. They're getting the same content, but that sales hook is is what they want. We're giving them what they want. It's standards checks the same thing. You know, what I'd like people to realize is when they go on standards check training, a lot of the time it's nothing to do with the standards check. It's just deliver a good lesson. Um, and if you make every lesson good, you haven't even got to worry when you know when you're you're asked to go along and do it under under alleged pressure. Um, it's just yeah, it, it's just a lesson. Um, so I, I have nothing against it being called that and, and people focusing on it. I just wish that we didn't have to. Um, and the only other thing is if with with regards to the you know three three strikes approach, I don't think we can be a training industry. If that that values training and improvement, if we had a one strike approach, because actually we need to recognise where people are and then help them forwards and help them grow. I just wish that the people that needed it were more inclined to reach out and and accept a bit of support and help, um, and invest in it as well. That they see a return on that, because I think that's one of the things we're not good at. You know, as as a training industry, we don't value training in in a lot of cases, and it's often because we've been bitten on the way in. So maybe as a nice way of tying together all the things the DVSA are are murmuring about, I don't think they're talking about them yet um, in the NASP report. Um, that might be a way forward to to help us improve and and develop those those standards so people actually engage a bit more. And I I, I don't know about you know the other guys in the room that are. Uh, dealing with PDIs, but there's some very scary PDIs out there. If you're an ADI who's been doing the job and not not upskilled, that are going to be coming up behind you pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to come to this 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 comment from uh, from Les Hopkinson. Um, shouldn't we see the standards check in the same way we train our learners, safe driving for life, versus develop your skills for a successful career? Therefore, you'll pass a standards check. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think my answer would be yes. <laughs> um, yes. Simple as that. It's, yeah, I think that we should. And it's not always as easy as that because everyone's different. There are things that cause me a great amount of stress that wouldn't cause anyone else in this room stress and, and vice versa for everyone as individuals. So we have to be conscious of that, conscious of the way different people handle things. So there might be people out there that need specific training around a certain thing, where it's mindfulness or, or um, you know, managing nerves or whatever the business, uh, whatever the side of it may be. But yeah, I think in premise, yeah. Um, but yes, Paul, uh, what what do you want to add and bring into this conversation? Um, to be honest with you, I first was attracted to your podcast because of the um, word check test. But then when I started listening to it, I found that it was more and more content that I was more interested in. And it made me reflect on myself and you know, realize that I need to become better. So I think it did, that, it did initially attract me to it. But like I said, I found a lot more once I got into it. 
So now I'm listening to lots of different stuff that you're doing, like the mindful stuff, mindfulness, and the um, expert sessions are really good. So I think just just carry on doing what you're doing, really. Awesome. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And I think that ties into what you were saying, Chris, about um, you can label as a standards check, but then deliver, not deliver something else, but, you know, deliver around that. Yeah, you, you, it, you know, nothing wrong with a nice bit of lipstick, but hopefully the personality shines through. Um, and I, I will just add that just as we come to the end of this podcast, I'm conscious of not making it an instructor podcast or Terry Loving episode. So if anyone has anything negative to say, you, you're more than welcome to do so. Chris, what would you like to say that's negative towards me? We want to take from your list. We haven't got time. We're another episode. <laughs> cool. Well, that seems like a perfect note to finish on. So, Chris, uh, do you want to just remind everyone where they can find you before we disappear? Uh, theditc.co.uk. Come and have a look and come and have a chat. Get in touch and let us know what you're looking for because we probably have it. Um, and if not, we will definitely go and find it. Uh, also, if you're looking for any support for pupils with theory training, please get in touch because uh, I, you know, I, I enjoy helping instructors help their pupils. Well, and you can find more instructor podcast goodness at www.theinstructorpodcast.com. Uh, but thank you for joining me today, Chris. You have been awesome, and so have you, Terry. Thank you very much. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.